You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Question therefore arises, what does that mean? Oh, and by the way, when God is shaking all things, whenever stuff on earth is shaken, stuff in the heavenlies is being shaken. Because what happens on earth is represented by the powers behind. And so God judges and disciplines the powers. And we see that classically in the book of Daniel. He raises up powers. He puts down powers. He gives authority, takes away authority. He gives authority that then becomes corrupt. And they use the power with that authority to do evil. And then God has a time and a place where he disciplines them. So just know there is tremendous ideological clash and spiritual shifting and new ascendancies, ascendancies taking place right now. How do we respond as Christians? How do we respond as church? For me, the answer is very simple. It's to understand the teachings of Jesus and to practice them. That's why in my paper, the way I introduce myself, not all the time, but often when I speak at conferences, I say, hi, I'm Alexander Fenter. I'm a recovering sinner pastor. <laughs> and my life's work is to understand, to live, and to teach the teachings of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus is this dramatic intervention of God's kingdom in the affairs of human beings, both personally, our families, our organizations, society, and nations, and in fact, the whole globe and the cosmos. Because in the coming of the kingdom, the heavens were parted and the spiritual powers were in principle defeated. And in practice, is the being defeated through the church and will be defeated at the second coming of Christ. And so there was dramatic cosmic confrontation and, and victory in the heavenlies. So the message of the kingdom and the understanding of the kingdom is key. But Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so his teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is essentially the, the people of the kingdom and living the life of the kingdom. He describes the people who've entered the kingdom, the blessed bees, and how to live the life of the kingdom. And he ends it by simply saying, if you understand my words and you practice them, then you will be built on the rock of the kingdom that will emerge as unshakable with whatever storms come the way of the world. In human brokenness and broken creation, we bring upon ourselves these birth pangs in anticipation of the coming of Messiah. And these intensity of birth pangs, as Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, um, earthquakes, Nation fighting against nation, pestilences will increase in great intensity to the coming of the Lord. Those built on the kingdom of the word of Jesus and live and practice that word of Jesus and teach it to others, disciple people, other people in the word of the kingdom and the works of the kingdom and the wonders of the kingdom. They are the rock that is unshakable, no matter what happens. And of course, the alternative is paying lip service to the kingdom and paying lip service to the words of Jesus and having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's the outward, uh, 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 the outward acts of looking spiritual 
and following Jesus and Christian and church. But actually, we don't commit ourselves to forming our entire lives around living the words and the teachings of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And that is a life built upon the sand that when the storms of life come, people backslide and they become atheists. They lose their faith. They get angry with God, thinking that God is no longer good. He's beating up on me. And they believe all the lies of the devil and of the spirit of this age that's going around all over the world today. So we have to make sure we are built. And many churches are in this time of testing will fall apart. Some will close down. Many Christians will, won't come back to incarnate face-to-face -face church because of the convenience of online church. So we've got to be aware of this mixed bag and this mixed environment that we're living in. And I think just do the main and the plain of the kingdom and practice the teachings of Jesus. And it's what I think Paul's interpretation is for all of us leaders. And I'm very conscious that I've been a church planter pastor since 1975. Um, in God's church in various environments and places. And when one day when I stand before the head of the church, Jesus, he's going to, I'm going to have to account for my ministry and leadership in terms of working with him and building his church. Did I build with wood, hay and straw, um, or with gold, silver and precious stones? And for me, this is the difference, is um, the, the words and the works of Jesus that I understand, I live, practice, and teach is the core of the kingdom. That is gold, silver, and precious stones. So at the end of the day, it still comes down to discipleship. So then let me make some further comments then on, on post-lockdown uh, church. So I've listed a bunch of things. Again, I'm not going to go through it all on my paper. You are welcome to read it. But just to mention a few things. I am convinced, and I am part of a little um, Facebook group of vineyard pastors in England and in the US, and listening also to their reflections. The, the focus of Sunday church has now been broken. <laughs> and we are thinking of church because of lockdown and online church in, in different ways. The focus on the pastor being central the Sunday service being central with all that is involved in what we used to do every Sunday. The focus on um, the church, the centralized church programs, the office, the facility. And I'm not saying necessarily that um, 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 real life church and churches within the, the Catalyst Connect network are stuck on buildings stuck on Sunday church, stuck on the so-called man of God syndrome, I think largely not. But what is clear is that's no longer um, the core issue. What has become the core issue is devolving ministry and leadership to people out there so that actually we be the church and do the church in homes, in the marketplace, in the streets, far more than we've ever done it before as opposed to being building-focused, office-focused, program-focused, and Sunday morning-focused. And so um, the need with that will always remain, no matter what happens, for face-to-face -face community. So what we're doing here 
is helpful by technology whereby Ryan and I and Kathy don't need to fly up to you guys and actually do it face to face. We can do it through technology like this, but it is always a surrogate means for the real thing. It is always a substitute to achieve a better end when we are face to face. Because there's nothing Jesus kept saying, and this is the phrase that kept going through my mind all the way through lockdown, when I was thinking of breaking bread at Freedom House <laughs> with the family that Joe and I came here to join, <laughs> is that I won't drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you face to face in my kingdom. And until then, whenever you have bread or whenever you drink a little vino or grape juice or orange juice, please remember me in anticipation of our face-to-face -face meeting. And so therefore, the longing for face-to-face -face community, God's norm is incarnate community. And the best way post-lockdown for that to happen is actually going right back to the New Testament pattern, which is they met from house to house. The house church system in the early church was the essential component of the growth and expansion and experience of church. What grew out of the house churches was the corporate gathering of a number of house churches in the town, in the city, which we call the congregation or the celebration. So the multiplication of small groups, house churches, that gather in different formats at different times and different ways now, post lockdown, I think is becoming the emerging pattern. So I think you guys may well know, um, and I'm talking from Freedom House experience, but going from a, a large Sunday morning gathering before the corona pandemic, which was humming and thriving, <laughs> then lockdown, then a deep period of orient, reorientation, thinking online church, online church, broadcasting to after that. We've come out the other side with a Friday night meeting that's open to people for just open-ended worship, a Sunday morning gathering, a Sunday night gathering, home groups through the week, and it's devolving into smaller groups with higher engagement in terms of felt needs as opposed to a programmatic thing that we've got to do and go through. For me, that is becoming the new norm. Um, so it therefore means that we need to really disciple, um, recognize, recruit, train, and deploy people and leaders to do home churches and ministries that devolve out there into the marketplace, on the street, in the home, in estates. Um, more and more and more, and just let it run like wildfire. I really believe that uh, the house church movements in China under communism, that just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. So they're 10%, they say. Today it's 12%, if I remember correctly, the statistics. And some say in terms of secret believers, it's much higher in China, or the entire population in China are born-again spiritual believers largely accredited to the house church movement. So in the vineyard, we talk about the IRTDM, identify, recruit, train, deploy, and monitor people and leaders to start new home groups, to do intercession ministry in the twos and the threes,
to initiate evangelism, to do all sorts of stuff that is not bullying focused, not office focused, and not Sunday fed, but actually just starts multiplying out there like wildfire. And then I think that is a prelude to revival when it breaks out in the world, in the marketplace, where the believers gossip the gospel and people get saved and healed through, through power evangelism out there. And the other thing is we need to continue to do the intense social engagement that most churches were called upon to do in lockdown. The, one of the healthy things of the corona pandemic and lockdown is that the compassion and the empathy that has arisen to care for the poor, the broken, the needy, the hungry, the unemployed, and people who've been laid off. And I know Stuart and Ali, you guys, I honor you and I salute you at Real Life Church. You have really an in-depth engagement in community to feed, to clothe, to help, to serve, to make a difference. And that actually is the norm of the church. That is the norm of the church. Um, I mean, in church history, um, one of the, 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 the Roman proconsuls rode back to Rome to say, these Christians, how they love one another because they take care of the poor and of the sick and they heal the sick. And they are remarkable because they're marked by love because they care for the poor and they heal the sick. The lepers that no one else wants to care for, the early Christians cared for them. So we need to continue and not back off this caring for the, the hungry and, and the social um, engagement. So for me, in terms of what post-lockdown church looks like, these are some of the markers as I'm interpreting the signs of the time and the way forward. And perhaps the last thing is to say, I'm very conscious of pastoral care and healing ministry because people are deeply vulnerable. People are um, an uh, anxious, you know, mental health issues have come to the fore, depression, all the stuff that's associated with times of extremity where there's psycho-emotional spiritual stress. And so um, paradoxically, through technology, we can practice high touch. Under lockdown, calling people on WhatsApp, messaging people, doing Zoom, touching people all over, exercising pastoral care and speaking the healing word, even if it's over uh, technology, preferably face-to-face. -face. But for me, healing ministry, pastoral care, in terms of engagement with people through this period is equally an important post-lockdown feature of church life. So maybe in summary, those are the things that I wanted to share with you. So to bring it to a close, to come back to this issue then of the kingdom, the main and the plane of the kingdom, and translating what I've said into the main and the plane of the kingdom that, in my opinion, defines church. So Ryan and DJ and others know that wherever I go around, this is what I, <laughs> I teach. So my understanding of Jesus's message of the kingdom, which he actually drew largely from the book of Isaiah, all the prophecies of the coming one, the mess David's messianic king 
on the one hand and the suffering servant on the, on the other hand. And Jesus's teaching was also, and will be was formed by Daniel as a son of man. And then also through the book of Psalms. If you take all of that as Jesus taught it, embodied it, and enacted, for me, I can reduce it to four implications or, or missional dimensions. The kingdom always comes with power. Power encounter, signs and wonders, is the first experience when kingdom is present and comes among us. And also in the power encounter of the kingdom is regeneration. We People are born again by God's spirit. And then healing and deliverance and whatever else. That naturally, easily overflows into what I call spiritual formation. So discipleship of regenerated believers in a life of progressive transformation to become more and more like Jesus in your character. That is fundamental to the kingdom. Because the kingdom doesn't only free us from spiritual powers and sins and leave us, but the kingdom having freed us progressively transforms us to be Jesus to our society and our community and our families and our companies, wherever we are. And so that progressive transformation in character and moral uh, capacity to do the will of God predictably, routinely on earth as it is in heaven, that is spiritual, personal spiritual transformation. That naturally overflows to social transformation. The kingdom is always about the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, <laughs> to release the captives and the prisoners, to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus's mandate from Isaiah 61 is a holistic mandate that is both personal and social, both structural sin in terms of injustice, as well as personal sin in terms of immorality. So it's not just personal, it is always social, economic, political, transformational of societies, structures, and nations. And the great goal of that is what was called in the evangelical revivals, the Great Awakenings under Wesley, Charles Finney, Edwards, and these guys. They were pictures of whole nations being shifted and changed over a period of a month, a few months to a year of such kingdom breakthrough where multitudes of people got saved and there was deep soul searching of conscience and society and political structures changed. Politicians re-evaluated things like slavery. I mean, Charles Finney was one of the greatest preachers against the institution of slavery. William Wilberforce and uh, therefore guys what you are doing in real life church in terms of um, engagement in society it's relieving the symptoms of pain and poverty by feeding and clothing but not only the symptoms must be addressed the causes so this is mercy ministry but the causes of pain and poverty must also be addressed. This is justice advocacy. That's engagement with policy and injustices in society, which are often systemic. That's too our responsibility as church. And then in between, 
the root causes, which is justice ministry, and symptomatic relief, which is mercy ministry, is community development, which is skills transfer, um, teaching people basic skills, finding employment, mobilizing the business people in our churches in the marketplace to do job creation for the un, not only the unemployed, but the unemployable people in our society. And those who have the vision of the kingdom, God will give them faith to do social transformation and community upliftment, whereby the kingdom really starts changing South Africa and our nation. That is an essential dimension of the kingdom that defines how we do church. And the last one is always the kingdom. The fourth one is always the kingdom. The vision and the mission of the kingdom is always to the next nation from Jerusalem, from Johannesburg to Gauteng, to the whole of South Africa, into Africa, and a world vision. So every home group should have a vision that within a year they multiply and plant out another home group. Every church should have a vision that they multiply and plant another church. All healthy things grow and multiply. So this world vision in our minds that we, we exist for those who are not yet here. You know, William Temple, the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in the previous century, was well known for this phrase. He used to keep saying to the Anglicans, he said, and to Anglicans, noho. he said, we exist for those who are not yet here with us. The church lives for the, for the unchurched. For God so loved the world that he gave the body of Christ away to the world, to love the world into the kingdom. So this whole thing of a world vision, world social transformation is an essential dimension of doing church post-lockdown. Um, and uh, so having said that, guys, let me close off with this thing of apprenticeship. So for me, the heart of it all, what am I saying? If we can refocus church as leaders on really, really making disciples, discipling our people in healing the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If, if every one of our people in our, in our church are trained and discipled and equipped to do signs, wonders, and miracles by exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through intimacy with God, whereby they hear God and walk on water, exercise faith. They take risk in the spirit and heal people. They lay hands on anything that moves. And if it doesn't move, they lay hands on it to get it to move because then it's dead and must come back to life. <laughs> so discipleship in the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit of our people Discipleship in character formation, whereby we overcome our corrupted lower appetites and crucify them, and we incrementally live obedient lives and become more and more like Jesus. That is the source of spiritual authority. The weight of spiritual glory, like C.S. Lewis talks about. He has this phrase, the weight of glory in your soul. You know, leaders, despite our personalities, despite our gift mix, 
despite our theology, despite our gimmicks, despite our persuasiveness and eloquence, at the end of the day, we lead from the weight of spiritual glory that rests in us. That is authority in real terms. That is our spirituality, our closeness and intimacy of Christ-likeness, out of which real authority is exercised and people experience it. And God backs it up with power and makes it happen. Whatever Jesus said happened because God backed him up, because God could trust him, because he had the integrity of character, he wouldn't misuse or abuse the power that the Father gave to him. And then, of course, discipling our people in engagement in the world for social transformation, which, again, I just commend you guys, because now and again, Stu and Ali, the videos that I've seen, the video clips of what you guys have been doing out there with a team of people. So encouraging the people to come and to go. So just to tell a, a, a brief little quick story, there's a vineyard church in Benoni that have now, post lockdown, they've not gone back to Sunday church in terms of the, their facility, but they are now beginning to meet in the park on Sunday morning at the lake at Benoni, where a lot of Benoni goes on Sunday mornings with their families and kids to play and picnic and people are in the dam, there is skiing there and they've set up five gazebos and one gazebo is for healing prayer. Another gazebo is they doing hot dogs and food just to feed people as a free gift. Another gazebo is for intercession for Christians who want to pray for all that's going on. Another gazebo is for spiritual, uh, I'm giving my own terminology to it, but it is, it is channeling, <laughs> speaking prophetic words over people. And so as people are walking past, they're just inviting them. Do you have anything wrong? Do, God can heal you. God can help you. Do you have problems with your business, with your finances? Come into this tent. We will invite the Lord to encourage you and to speak words of prophecy over you. So they're doing church in the park, in, in, in five little tents, gazebos, with all the people that are walking past. And uh, that's their attempt to keep doing church out there in the marketplace <laughs> in creatively different ways. <laughs> and of course, that's besides home group, besides a broadcast uh, service over the internet at some other at some other point. So it's all about discipling our people and giving ministry authority and leadership away by raising up more and more people that we can entrust. Go do it. Go start a home group. Go heal the sick. Go do that. They, we don't need to control them. We need to monitor and encourage them. But I think Part of Corona and lockdown church has taught us as leaders, we're going to hold things a bit more lightly and let God be God and give the church back to Jesus, the head of the church, and let him do what he wants to do in his church. And he doesn't need our permission as leaders. <laughs> he can actually just, from our point of view, he can just mess up his church because it's his church bought with his blood. It's not our church. It doesn't belong to us. 
it belongs to him. So we need to hold it far more lightly and be permission-giving leaders, empowering leaders, facilitating leaders. And it's not leadership-focused. It's people-focused. The power is in the people. And we are here as leaders to facilitate, recruit, train, equip, deploy, release, bless, and go wreak havoc in the kingdom of darkness. Make the devil flee. Cause major problems for Satan. Get out there and go moggy in the kingdom. <laughs> That's the spirit and the tone that I think we should have in post-lockdown church. I've said enough. Thank you. Uh, I'm still, yeah, muted, Stu. You're muted. Trying. There we, there we go. There we go. We go. Thank you, Alexander. I don't think you've said enough. I could sit at your feet for weeks and weeks and weeks, and um, I just like <laughs> en enjoy the time I, I get to to spend with you, whether it's in Joburg or, or down south. But thank you so much for your, your, your wisdom, um, Ryan, Kathy, Kathy. Do you want to kick off and add um, any any perspective from your side, Kathy? Um, I don't think it, I don't think there's a perspective to add. I think that everything Alexander said is powerful and incredible, and I absolutely witnessed with everything that he said because that's exactly what God is doing. I think um, you know he mentioned the psychologists have said that people are reacting to the times that we're living in. Well, one of the, the signs of the times we are living in is Luke 21, 26, where it says men's heart will fail them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. So the very shaking and the very time and things that we experience and the very manifestation of the Phobos fear, the terror, the panic attacks, the anxiety, is the evidence of the time that we're living in. So it's amazing that um, the world can see it and, and, and we need to understand that incredibly. And, and I just want to say, um, I, I, just, I just love, I love the way that you put it and I love the way that you've tied it all together. And I love the four points that you've put in there because it's exactly what God has said. It's a time for the sons, the priests and the kings to rise up, to take their rightful places. It's a time to give people permission to be children of God and to get them to grow up and to take their rightful places and to encourage them to trust what is in them because it's not what, it's not who we are. It's what we carry that's important. And then just um, just the, the, the last thing was when I was in China in 2018, when they had just, um, they were just arresting uh, the Chinese pastors and they had increased the, 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 the whole lockdown system, not the lockdown system, but the persecution again. And so many of the Western people that I was relating to, they were all kicked out the country, all had to leave and because they couldn't stay. And as I was prophesying over an apostle in the in the country that had 800 churches that, that they were overseeing, um, God said this to me. He said, tell them that the Chinese church is the forerunner church. And what you see here is what's going to be manifest throughout the earth. And mm -hmm. so the very fact that you mentioned that, um, Alexander, for me, it's just such confirmation that the underground Chinese church, God mm -hmm. said, is the forerunner of what the church is going to be looking like in the next mm -hmm. season. Thank you. Uh, I just 
Yeah, I just think you've covered it very well. You've covered the prophetic. You've, I mean, you've just brought brought it all together, made it clear. Thank you. Thank and you. the power. Thank you've you. got to have the church of power. <laughs> Me? I have nothing to add. It's I'm inspired. I want more of Jesus. I want to be the kind of leader that does that more and more and more. I would add anything. I'm, I'm Anybody? Hello? Can you hear me? We lost you. Hello. Okay, we can I went. I went to the ferry somewhere. I apologize. I'm back. And the fairies send their greetings. <laughs> no, I said I have absolutely nothing to, to add. Um, I'm inspired. I'm enthused. I want to be that leader more and more. More dependent on God for his grace, his clarity, his wisdom, his courage, his security to continue to devolve uh, leadership, empower others, um, progressively you know, move backwards. So I just say, amen. Uh, there is, um, there is a remarkable series of, um, documentaries about the church in Iran that has been doing its rounds. I, I don't know if any of you saw them at the beginning of the year. I, um, I watched them repeatedly the mm -hmm. beginning of the year and, um, it is, it is exactly what Kath, Kathleen and this decentralization of local church. That's what's happening. And uh, we playing catch up. So, amen. Holy Spirit, do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alexander, I think, you know, we, we'll do questions. I'll throw this into one of my, my questions, but maybe you can just give me a, 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 me a heads up. You know, one of the longings of my heart is that we have church where there's predominantly fewer and fewer believers in our meetings. You know, I long for the day where the, the, the disenfranchised, the hurt, the prostitutes, the hungry, the, they, they, they come to the church because they see hope and not guilt and condemnation. No, I love it when I see more and more people in, in our environment that are not church people and, and, we, and they feel more and more comfortable being with us. And we, and we do it in a Jehovah's sneaky type of way. Um, but I think, you know, what am I, I think I'm trying to ask is how do we not dilute our desire to move away from a pulpit and a platform and a paycheck and want to be out there in the community, but still aren't seen to be a group of people who are insipid or wishy-washy. There's this perception that the more we hang around the prostitutes, the less strong we are with, you know, the, the more we hang around with the gay community, the less we, we there's this perception that we're diluting our beliefs. Um, and I'm, I'm not wanting to dilute at all what Jesus has called us, called us to, but we have to be out there in the community. I have to have more of my time spent with the people who traditionally aren't embraced or welcomed in church 
to be able to have impact. You know, I want to, I want to go to the unchurched. We want to position ourselves in that space. Um, and as we move, uh, and we're moving away from a Sunday morning just because we don't have a building, not because we're trying to be clever. Um, but there is this, you know, our desire is to hang around more and more with the people who generally feel unloved by the church and, and come in an opposite spirit. You know, I want us to be the sick bay for church. I used to say, I want every prostitute in Joburg to have my number on their speed dial. You know, why is it when a prostitute's being beaten up by a pimp, they would rather go to another prostitute or a pimp than phone a pastor? So those are the things that break my heart. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, that's just where I'm wanting to, to try and find a, a space as we, as we move, move forward. Yeah. No, Stuart, I hear you and I hear your heart. And um, look, obviously there's a lot one can, can say about that, but the elder brother syndrome of Christians who perceive that kind of engagement in the poor, the broken, the sinners, the drunkards, the prostitutes, with judgment in their hearts that you are compromising, et cetera, et cetera. That obviously is painful and difficult, but it should not prevent us from following the convictions of the heart to do church more and more out there where people really need Jesus. He came, you know, those who are sick and who know they are sick, they need a doctor. But those who think they are well, they don't need a doctor. So Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I've, came, I've come to heal the sick, the broken, the drunkards, the prostitutes. So, so don't let it put you off. I, as you're talking, what came into my mind, and maybe this is helpful, I've always tried to hold a guide in my mind as a pastor leader, is Jesus looking at his life and his model. So I kind of, in examining the Gospels, I came to a conclusion that Jesus probably spent, if I understand him correctly, a third of his time in solitude, prayer, cultivating relationship with his father. A third of his time with his immediate community of faith, discipling them. And a third of his time with them, engaging in people on the street, in the marketplace, ministering to them, having meals with them. And so for me, it's to keep the balance here. All engagement out there will eventually undermine us. All uh, just discipling in here will eventually cause us to be incestuous. Um, so we need this depth of spirituality to be alone with the Father and formation. We need the base of authentic community, the discipling community, but it's all for engagement out there with the world. And the way of the early church, in terms of, Stuart, what you were describing as your passion, was love feasts. When they broke bread, it wasn't a nip and a sip. <laughs> Every time they broke bread, it was the Jewish feast meal, and to which all the poor Drunkards, prostitutes were invited. And the early church were known. That's why Paul had to correct the Corinthians. You know, when you when you all gather to, to, to break bread, don't, don't drink all the wine and don't have all 
you know, the camembert cheese, but wait for one another and serve one another. Because what about the poor, the hungry among you? So it was a very mixed environment of believers and unbelievers and poor and broken, always around a meal. And for me, one of the big keys is to eat in the park, have a picnic in the park, get the whole church to go to the park, have a picnic and just feed everyone in sight and invite them into the meal. <laughs> and then just start talking, Jesus offering to pray for sicknesses and whatever, whatever. But um, there are ways and means of doing it. And I hear your heart. And look, you are wired and gifted in a unique way, you and Ali as a team, to Ryan and Melissa, to Kathy, to me. And what your primary passion is might not be Ryan's passion. But each local church takes on and helps to facilitate the primary visionary passion of the leader and the leadership team. So don't apologize for the passion God's put in your heart. When I see those video clips of what you guys are doing out there, Stuart and Ellie, I mean, it's inspiring. It is yep. it's wonderful. So go for it. And the Lord will show you how more and more. So amazing. Thank you for listening. 